1: Hello and welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. Today we're talking about working with directors and how to prepare to be on set from an actor's point of view. I am Giles Alderson, co-writer and director of the psychological art house horror feature film The Dare, which is released next year, World of Darkness feature documentary and producer of horror comedy Serial Killer's Guide to Life. Our regular hosts Andrew Roger and Christian James are filming, but actor and producer Dan Richardson is here, direct from hosting the Remembering Rhinos charity event at the Royal Geographical Society for the Born Free Foundation. How do you remember all this? I don't. Oh, I've got, got it written down. Right. We are here at Voiceover Soho Studios today, a delightful place with five voiceover recording studios. These voiceover studios in London have been designed and purpose-built as voice recording and audio post-production facilities. They deliver broadcast-ready mixes for commercials, films, documentaries. TV... TV series, radios, trailers, animations, video games, ADR and much, much more in any format direct to your email ready for download immediately after the session all in the comfort of their five studio facilities across two sites in the centre of London, Soho and Fitzrovia. We're in here now, Mark. It's amazing, isn't it? It its
2: amazing, yeah, yeah. And I'm even more amazed at your ability to remember all of that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's see
1: why. Yeah, that's why. Ah, so, uh, yes,
2: the cheat sheet. Yeah, the cheat sheet. So <laughs> head to
1: voiceoversoho.co.uk or call Peter, saying the Filmmakers Podcast sent you, which he will be over the moon to get your calls Just generally, just ask him how he is. That's it. Call him up. How How are are you, Peter? How are you? What's going on? If you want a a studio, book this. We are absolutely delighted for today's guest. He needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. He's best known for his role in the television series Our Friends in the North and films such as Fever Pitch, Rock and Roller, Body of Lies, Sirania, The Young Victoria, Sherlock Holmes, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, the list goes on. Uh, Kick-Ass, Sunshine, Green Lantern, Zero Dark Thirty, Robin Hood, John Carter, The Imitation Game, Welcome to the Punch, and most recently, Six Days, and The Kingsman. Ladies and Germs, the Filmmakers Podcast welcomes massively Mark Strong! (laughs) Happy to be here,
2: happy to be here. Thank you for that intro, that's very kind. Thank you very much, I wrote it myself. (laughs) Ha (laughs)
1: Ha 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 so look, this podcast is all about helping people get off their asses and make films. Filmmakers, actors, producers, how they do that. So yeah. we try and help them in any way we can and support mm-hmm. them. So look, let's start with how you got started in, in the business mm. as an actor. Because mm-hmm. you were studying law, right?
2: Yeah, I did law first because I thought that's what I wanted to do. And I was lucky to realise that uh, it was dry, boring, not what I wanted to do. So I <laughs> perversely chose the diametric opposite and, and became mm. an actor. Everybody thought I was mad, quite how, rightly. How come? What reason? Why? why? Just, just... I I knew that it was very important to choose something in life that you wanted to do and as I was doing law and I was doing it in Munich University would you believe in German just Mm. to make it even more complicated there was a group of people next door doing theater workshops every day on my way to the to the lecture hall for for the law uh, seminars which were incredibly boring these guys seemed to be having so much fun that I joined in there one day to go went went in and had a look and, and they explained that they were just doing workshops, and they were working on a piece of text, and they were actors. And mm-hmm. I had no people in my family who were actors or were in the theatre or made films or did anything like that. And it just—I literally, just in that moment—went, "Okay, I want to do this." Wow. And then just stuck with it ever since. When was this? How long ago was this? This would have been 1981. I did theatre for about ten years, and then I got into you know TV through mm-hmm. our friends in the north and this industry does seem to consist of getting a break. Mm. So this might be relevant to your listeners as well, that you you need something really that gets you noticed. um, And then you have to capitalize on that with something else. And that's why there's so much luck involved in this industry. Um, It's not a meritocracy, certainly not if you're an actor, because it's all subjective. People decide whether or not they like you. Film is slightly different in that if you make a good film that everyone goes to see, the chances are you'll get to make another one. But Mm. having done theater and then TV, I made a conscious decision I wanted to be in movies. I wanted to make film. Yeah. And funny enough, all those guys you mentioned from our friends in the North, or yeah. rather the, the program you mentioned. Daniel Craig, Christopher Eccleston, and Gina McKee were my co-stars, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, exactly. Huge. And when that show finished, I went back to the theatre, and they were all kind of unemployed for about hmm. 10 months to a year, and I wow. felt really sorry for them until I realised that they were actually making a conscious decision to wait for movies. Right. So they then went off and made movies. I think Gina worked with Michael Winterbottom, Daniel Craig went off to work with John Maybury and make Love is the Devil. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know what Chris did, but I... I I suddenly thought as I was there doing my theater play every night, wow, I, I, I want to do that. Mm. So I turned everything down for a while. Right. And then yeah. Syriana came along, you mm. know, this tiny, pretty much one or two scenes in a film directed by Stephen Gagan with mm. George Clooney about the Middle East. And almost at the same time, I got offered a really small part in Oliver Twist, the Roman Polanski yes. was directing. Mm-hmm totally different parts one was a third generation lebanese muslim the other one was a sort of ginger head top hat wearing buck toothed loon Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and the interesting thing was they came out at the same time both relatively small parts but i got a call from the cohen brothers to go and meet them because they'd seen these two films and they didn't believe that that was the same actor i love fantastic and that's kind of how i got going really. really
0: right amazing did you make a conscious decision as is it is there some reason why you chose film over theater
2: yeah and it's interesting you should say that because i had a debate just very recently with my my wife who's a tv producer and has produced films about what the balance now is between tv and film back then you wanted to be in the movies because television was standard stuff you know it fed the box Mm -hmm. it was okay we were making a lot of uh, Dickens, you know, around Christmas time. Yeah, Prime
1: Suspects, stuff that was brilliant. But yeah, yeah, but it
2: absolutely. was very much TV and and, yeah. and film seemed to be where the real invention was going on. So back then, I think I wanted to be in movies because I
0: thought it was a much bigger canvas. Simple as that.
2: Yeah. Nowadays, I think things have
0: slightly changed. They have. really seriously changed, hasn't it? Especially yeah. in the States. Yep. TV, I mean, that's what, you know, it's the writers and the actors seem to have gravitated towards TV now because of the, well, you got that. That huge breadth of time and space to explore stories and characters and everything else that goes mm-hmm. with it, haven't you? With a, with a TV series. And look at the names involved in TV these days. It's oh, Anthony Hopkins and yeah. Matthew McConaughey. And but you are right, because
1: you've got time to <clears throat> develop that character. As in a film, mm-hmm. it's, it's beginning, middle and end. There it is. Sure. With TV, well, that could go on for two series, three yeah. series, up to even longer right it's not
2: it's not just the content either it's Mm. it's the way we watch it Mm. you know i've got a son who's very happy watching movies on his phone yeah on a tiny screen and (sighs) i keep trying to say to him these films have been made made for the big screen that's where you've got to go and watch it Mm. but him and his mates really happy to watch it on a small screen Mm -hmm. television screens in our homes have become amazing you Mm -hmm. know projectors are now affordable Mm -hmm. and you can get amazing sound so the experience you can have watching a movie in your own home, you know, can even be better than it can be in the cinema if you're sitting next to someone who's opening a bag of crisps, for example.
1: Which is so annoying.
2: You know? Yeah. So the way we watch film and, and uh, has really been very important in dictating the power, if you like, of film and TV. Also, the, the, the incredible costs of making movies. Mm. They Not just making them, but then distributing and uh, you know finding the money for the advertising. The and marketing is
1: a huge part of making films, and it's something we talked about quite a lot on mm. the podcast, how hard it is for indie filmmakers to then go, oh, I haven't got a budget for marketing. Sure. And how important it is to put that in your budget at the very beginning mm-hmm. to make sure you can get it out there and get people to see it. Otherwise, you've made a great film, and... It's on your mum's shelf. And it's so important to do that. Um, but yeah, like you say, TV's a bigger medium and a lot of people I know now are starting to write for TV and going, well, hang on. Why can't I do this as well?
0: Mm, yeah. It's
1: harder to make films, it seems mm. now. TV seems not necessarily easier, but if you get in there, well, it opens a lot of doors.
0: It's a strange phenomenon, isn't it? Cause it's, we were talking about this in an earlier episode where mm. it's, it is harder to make film and you, it seems like it's, it's now, become this one extreme or the other where you've got dslr filmmakers making movies for 10 grand mm-hmm. or you've got 250 million dollar budget movies that seems to have sucked up all of the the big studios and nothing in between there is of course stuff in between but it's interesting how it's got this amazing contrast between the two ends of the spectrum
1: mm. but a lot of those films like you say with the 250 million ones they're made for the big screen but like you say our kids will watch it on their yeah. phones they'll yeah. watch Thor. they'll watch these things on their phones yeah and you go but But imagine it on the big screen with the sound and... So content is all,
2: isn't it? I mean, because you can make a 250 million superhero movie, but Mm -hmm. it's not very good. Sure, you'll make a load of money, Mm. but you won't earn any respect. People won't really like it. And if you're a big studio, you're in the business of making money. But most indie filmmakers and most people who love film are in it for the art. Mm -hmm, And that is a constant balance that you have to decide which side you're on. You know, it's like a it's like a fence or a blade if you like one side is art one side is commerce and you Mm -hmm. have to kind of choose which path you're going to go down I mean Kingsman for example just as a a Mm -hmm. case in point I think it costs a hundred million or something. I can't even imagine what the advertising or the distribution or the marketing budget sure, must have been because sure. I've just been to South Korea and China. We're going to Japan. You have travelled all over the world. Made
1: paid for all that exactly. Yep, yeah, it's all paid hotels, for, but not food. just
2: me. You've got people driving the cars. You've got assistants. Mm-hmm. You've got the actual hotels. You've got you know literally hundreds of people involved in each of these countries. Mm. So it's a, it's an enormous amount of money. But then it's made something like four hundred million. So they're all happy they can make their money back Exactly. but small filmmakers Mm. I mean you can't really see yourself in that category at all studio pictures seem to have become something of their own now and they seem to be raiding you know the Marvel DC world Mm -hmm. or the world of uh, I mean I suppose Kingsman is from a a comic Mm -hmm. so it's that world Um, the quality movies are the smaller movies that are being made but you're right the middle ground of 80 70 80 90 million they're, they're very very rare
1: yeah
2: um So I think it's content. If you make a good film, you've just got to kind of do your best to do that and try and get it out there.
1: Mm. Yeah. Get it to the right people. I just want to jump back a little bit, talk about Fever Pitch, because it was one of your sort of earlier breakout... supporting leading roles.
0: Yeah.
1: And it was obviously about Arsenal, which is obviously a club you really support.
0: Mm. Um,
1: how, how was that? And so, first, actually, it's the first time you're working with Colin Firth as well. Yeah, yeah. And you worked with him quite a lot, which is fascinating. Yeah, bizarrely, for, for yeah. this time. Mm. I mean, back then, I take it you were auditioning for stuff?
2: Yeah, I think I'd gone up for it because... Uh, they knew I was an Arsenal supporter or maybe I was just in the frame f- to play a part in there I think I might even have gone up for the lead right. with my agent knowing I was an Arsenal supporter uh, mm-hmm. and when I got there no that's it they, they they my agent put me up for it thinking well he loves football he'll be right for it I got in there and I met Hornby mm-hmm. and uh he didn't believe I was an Arsenal supporter because obviously every actor who'd come in, they'd say, who'd you support? They said, well, Arsenal, Arsenal, because they wanted the job. Um, But I actually had a photograph, I had a paperback of Fever Pitch, Mm -hmm. which has a kid in an Arsenal kit doing a throw-in in in what looks like his mum's garden. I have virtually exactly the same photograph from my youth when I was about eight in my kit doing a throw-in in my mum's garden. So when I got recalled, I took it in and I showed it to them and said, look, there, are, there's the proof. proof yeah. me. Nice. <laughs> and
1: were you wearing an Arsenal shirt at the time? No, no, I didn't go oh. that far.
2: <laughs> but we got on, you know, and they yeah. knew that I knew about the club and I suppose they just thought, you know, if they, I think they cast Colin at that stage. They needed somebody who was a believable supporter mm-hmm. because Colin might have been a movie actor yeah. who could play a supporter, but they needed somebody who was. So I think I supplied that element. And mm-hmm. for me, it was art meeting life. It was the best job.
1: I remember when I got The Damned United it was the same thing with Tom Hooper sat there in the audition room with Tom Hooper and he was grilling me about football he knows nothing about football by the way absolutely nothing yeah and he's the reason why I got the role, apparently, was because I played football, I loved it, I was passionate about it. And I think sometimes it does make a difference, doesn't yeah, it? When you yeah. sat there with directors and they'd sort of go, OK, What on earth they give
2: him that job, though, when he doesn't know anything that's about the football? There you are, that's the film industry. A, I know, yeah, that is the shell. film industry. Makes that sense. happens so often.
1: It does, because Michael Sheen loves football and he's very good at football. Don't, yeah. Have you ever played with Michael? No, 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 He's never. He's a really good footballer. In the film, he boots one in the top corner. He did that every time, every take. Oh, really? So, yeah, chest control. But and he's, he's, he's not a, a football footballer. Well, he
2: he had trials for Arsenal. Oh, he is. He's that good. Is he's he? He's that good. No, oh, that's what okay. I mean. Sorry, is I misunderstood. Good? I thought ah. he was uh, average football. Oh, no, no, God, he's I a can. good football. Yeah, oh, no, right. he's
1: a really good football. And then you sort of went on to do. Well, speaking of football, really, you went on to do Elephant Juice with Sam Miller, who yes. we play football with, and yeah. he was on the podcast. I don't know about five, six episodes ago. Do oh, check right. that out okay. with Sam, Miller. it's fantastic. He talks about directing for TV. Um, how was that experience doing Elephant Juice?
2: Yeah, working with Sam was brilliant because he's just a lovely guy. As I've known him now for years, as you have, and he's just a really you want to be on set with people that you like and he's one of those mm. and it was a sort of fascinating film about various different characters i thought you know it really intrigued me reading it and making it was amazing and that was that was again just another another tiny step into the world of movies for mm. me so
1: when was that moment where you 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 realized that things were changing for you because you sort of had a really strong period after that you sort of kept working you just work kept coming for you and mm. and essentially playing some brilliant diverse roles When was the moment where you went, I might have to audition here or I'm getting offered something? What was the change? That's
2: an interesting question. I don't really know because I don't see um, acting careers. I don't know what it's like. Perhaps the same is true of directors, but they're Mm. very rarely linear. You know, you like I said, it's not a meritocracy. You don't tend to do something that's good and then get something better, 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 better until you win an Oscar. Mm. It doesn't really work like that. It tends to kind of go up and down. You have quiet periods and busy periods. And all you can do really is gravitate towards the best work. That's what I try and do, the quality work. But mm-hmm. obviously also as I've got older, you have to balance it. You have to do movies that will pay your bills mm-hmm. as well as movies for no money at all that you do because you love them. Mm. I don't need to answer your question. I don't think there was a moment where I thought all oh, things are changing. But there certainly did seem to be a moment where I joined the film club Mm. because over here you're in the theater club the tv club or the film club and we can move between them unlike in america it's not quite so easy but once you're in one you're considered to be part of it so i started to get films because i had made films i'd been in films and i was also lucky in that i i I wasn't a leading man i was a character actor Mm -hmm. and uh that meant you could cross fertilize all over mm-hmm. the place you know you weren't just in a queue with all the other leading men for the leading role in a movie mm-hmm. you there was tons of character parts that you could play so i got to do quite a lot of stuff yeah, it's Fantastic. Mm. let's yeah. talk
1: about working with directors then because you've worked with so many i've listed obviously we talked about roland polanski danny boyle ridley scott a few times guy ritchie uh katherine bigelow matthew Vaughan a few times what is it that you find when working with directors what's what's important, What what's the connection
2: for you? That's, that's a very good question. That's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Um, without which is a name drop, I did a film with Leonardo DiCaprio and asked him how he made his choices as an actor and he said it's all about the director in movies. Mm-hmm. All about the director. He, he will watch a director's previous movies he'll watch his stuff and he'll make a decision on the basis of that because he realizes Mm -hmm. that directors are the people that take the raw footage or digital content or whatever into the editing room and make the movie so you have to trust a director Mm. so not only trust him that or her that they can make good films and tell a story using pictures Mm -hmm. But also that they're your mate behind the camera. That's really important. On Mm. set, when you're shooting day to day, you want somebody who's looking at the monitor who can say to you, no, 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 don't do that. That's that's wrong. Or I need a bit more there. That I can't see what you're doing. Or just calm that down because you're over the top. Mm. Whatever the comment might be, it's basically that. You need somebody who will guide you because you can't see what you're doing. All you can do is rely on your instinct, which is telling you to perform in a particular way or look in a particular way or sound in a particular way but you need somebody to tell you who's looking at the monitor what's working and what isn't and you can't always find that funny enough with directors and that's actually why i've probably worked with guy Ritchie and matthew vaughn a few times is because they they've become friends and i trust them
1: and they're good at that they're good at telling you what works and what doesn't
2: they're not hung up with film school um, hang-ups like how you're supposed to, sure, in inverted yeah, commas, speak yeah. to actors. Mm. They'll just literally say, no, 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 that's shit.
0: <laughs> <Great>. Don't do <laughs> that. Do right. this. And you're like, Great. okay, that's what I need to hear. It's invaluable, isn't it? You yeah. can't, you can't yeah. put a, pri- of, a value on that. It's absolutely fantastic. So with that criteria in mind, do you have a, a director that you would be absolutely itching to work with that you haven't yet? Um, well, the, the, the director I wanted to work with
2: more than anything was Peter Weir. I thought oh, Peter Weir is yeah. just such an amazing director. He's mm-hmm. done such a varied kind of group of movies, you know, The Truman Show, Master and Commander, Picnic at Hanging Rock. At Hanging Rock what a thing. I mm-hmm. mean, it's just an absolute incredible list of, of of amazing films and all different. Mm-hmm. And, and, and different authorial you know um, control as well. You, you would never, if you put that in front of somebody who knew nothing about film and asked them if that was the same director, that you can't see anything in there that's a sort of suggests it's him he manages to immerse himself in each one but i did a film with him called the way back but it wasn't successful it didn't work for mm-hmm. some reason i don't know why he's a lovely man as well he's a he's a real he's an australian guy i remember once he, he tried to explain to us how he wanted a scene to feel and he showed us a bit of documentary footage of a snake moving across the sand wow. the, with with a, with a soundtrack to it and that was the best way he could describe to us what he wanted the scene to feel like and it kind of worked. You you got a sense of the feeling of what he wanted from it.
1: Yeah, as actor, surely you go, oh, okay, I understand that character. I understand an animal. Let mm. me see if I can get into that slithery thing. That's, yeah, that's yeah.
2: wonderful. Yeah, and it was the music as well. He'd often, mm. he'd often uh, play you music to explain to you how he wanted a scene to feel. Mm. So like, Thomas Alfredson, the Swedish director, who um, I did Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy with. I remember mm-hmm. Gary Oldman and I were about to do a scene, and he said, um, and Gary's remembered this, because actually I've cribbed this from him mm. mentioning it to somebody I'd forgotten, but... Thomas said he, Gary says you know what, what do you want how do you, and he said i want it to i want the scene to smell like damp tweed
0: <laughs> nice <laughs> that's great okay,
2: you know that? okay. lovely and, and t- you I sort think. of think hey eh? and then you think oh okay mm-hmm. all right no i kind of get it he really wanted to soak that whole film in a 70s Britain, that he remembered as a young Swedish boy coming to London, which was a sort of tobacco stained,
1: yeah, damp
0: tweedy kind yeah. of world. He's seen yeah, it yeah.
1: from an outsider and he wanted to see that on the screen.
0: Yeah. You know, I think yeah. that that is such an insightful way of looking at the business because one of the key, key things we're talking about in filmmaking is how do you get, and there's going to be so many filmmakers that will hear this and think, oh, yeah, exactly, what is that? You've got an idea in your head, and if you could just download that image mm-hmm. onto a screen, It's that that you're trying to achieve. Uh, Mm. And how do you do that? Well, you come up with things like the smell of damp tweed or the sound of this piece of music or this snake slithering or the combination of those things. Mm. Because that's the eternal thing, isn't it? I I was walking around yesterday, walking my dog yesterday. I've got a dog now. Yeah, Mm. Olive, we know. (laughs) Olive. Um, And I I was just listening to some fantastically cinematic music and it made me think, I've got to make a movie with this kind of music. Mm. I haven't got any particular idea in mind but the music made me want to make a movie mm-hmm. so it kind of it kind of emphasizes that fact doesn't it because yeah. any of the senses that we can bring into it can really help to absolutely yeah, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and i've worked insightful. with directors as well who are nervous about talking to actors mm-hmm. because obviously
2: directors cover a wide spectrum you can get people coming from the theater who really pride themselves on the fact that they can talk to actors and and help them with with dialogue and mm-hmm. all of that but know nothing about where to put the camera sure. or, or about lenses and on the other side, you get people who know everything about the you know, technical. depth of field yeah. and lenses. and all that. No idea how to speak to actors and also slightly terrified of it because they think there's some sort of technique. Mm. But again, to guys listening or girls who are making movies, there, there is no technique. You just need to try and communicate to the best of your ability because actors are very receptive. They want to do the thing well. And so if you can explain it to them in the best way possible, however that may be, you'll only ever win them over. Mm -hmm. The worst kind of director is the one who comes in and just thinks they know it, they know it all, telling everybody what to do.
0: Mm -hmm. um, That's not a great person to work with no. it's a horrible feeling isn't it, it is. you think well why did, why did you get me in to do this you could have just taken the first guy you saw in the street well, and just said here mimic this yeah it's, it's the what the, feeling it's in the world horrible isn't it someone says i oh, just
1: do it like this gives you a line reading which mm, doesn't work yeah. but I, I can understand that people would be scared of actors from they hear a lot of stories of actors kicking off on set yeah there's a lot of books about that kind of thing you know i'll be in my trailer type yeah, thing yeah. you sort this out and Actors can take over, the ones with names, and I suppose that's why you want to work with good actors, strong actors who actually respect and there's that whole mutual respect. Yeah. What's the best way for a director to work when they first come on to set? Talk us through, from your opinion, on what's happened with you, the best way for them to approach something, and the worst way.
2: I think if you come on you're anything less than honest you're in trouble if you come on throwing your weight around when you don't know what you're doing people Mm -hmm. will smell that if you come on uh you know pretending to be humble and uh, but actually forcing everybody to do what you want people can smell that i think the best thing is honesty it's about okay we're here we're trying to tell a story um Mm -hmm. confidence is always really good you know Mm -hmm. i did a film with john madden he controlled the read through he was always very uh on set he'd explain everything to everybody he'd get the actors in we'd rehearse a little bit when that was done he'd get the cameraman in ask him where he want to put the camera and what shots he want to do then he'd get the rest of the crew in Mm -hmm. explain what we were going to be doing and that is a very comfortable way to work because then everybody knows what they're doing they're all on the same page Mm. um so i i would just say you know uh, confidence in, in a director is kind of what you need but not that kind of confidence that makes you realize that they're they're actually terrified and throwing their weight around.
1: Sure. Mm. Yeah, I know that, that makes sense. And do you like to um, block it out first? You know, it's similar to rehearse it? Do, do you prefer that way or sometimes you just like to come in cold? Right, again,
2: know? actors are all different. I'm really envious of the ones that I hear about who just come in and want to throw it around, you know, make mm. it up on the spot, sure. do their own thing. And, you know, it might take me over there if I want to do this. Or that. I'm much more meticulous than that. I do my preparation and, mm, uh, when I come in that. and do a scene. Yeah. Well, you know, if I have a, a script and scenes to, uh, with lines to learn, I will, in my own mind, uh, prepare that in the way I think it should be done. I think I'm intelligent enough to understand a scene when I read it, what the purpose of the scene is within that movie. Mm-hmm. So I cut, I learn my lines, I come in, I hit my marks, I say my lines, and I try and do it to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I did a film with Sasha Baron Cohen, which was almost all improvisation, this mental movie called Grimsby.
1: Grimsby, yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, which which was just actually probably the hard, one of the hardest things I've ever done because you turn up every day and there wouldn't be a script. You'd have to just make it up. And so from being somebody who was very meticulous Mm. about the way they worked, I had to literally go to the other end of the spectrum and leave it all at home and come in and just do whatever came about that day on set. Um, both ways work, to be honest. So it's really just for the individual to decide what, what helps Mm. them. Mm.
0: Mm. What's the um what's the what's with the whole playing bad guys thing?
2: Well that that yeah well <laughs> you, you
0: like that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean I think initially it was
2: probably because um well the funny thing, the first one I played uh I think I, know, I may even have it was was a thing called The Long Firm that I did yeah. on BBC Two. It's four parts. Then
1: you were you were BAFTA nominated. Yeah, for yeah, that, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It was a great yeah. role in a great
2: yeah. thing, and it was Jake Arnott's novel which mm-hmm. was adapted into four parts by the BBC. And I had to work so hard to get that part. I knew I wanted to play it, but they didn't have the confidence that I was, could play dark enough, tortured enough, strange enough, because this guy is a, he's a gay gangster in the 60s. He, he, you know, he shoves red hot pokers down people's throats, but he loves Judy Garland. You know, he's, he's kind of really Coming complicated. <laughs> is really complicated and um, they, honestly, I had to fight and the producer had to fight to, to get me that part because the powers that be were like, no, no, he can't do it. Anyway, then I did it and was, as you say, very, you know, gorgeously BAFTA nominated, mm. whatever that means. Um, and <laughs> means you're recognised by BAFTA. It's well, you get recognised, <laughs> but I don't think it means, you know, the
0: who's best element of it all no, I'm, sure. I'm very suspicious of. But, uh, i like that I, I like that you said that that's really because i agree because mm, mm. it's like you started out saying it's a subjective thing isn't it? it's not yeah yeah it's, it's like it's like me saying well actually blue should be your favorite color because that's mine yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's weird right it's yeah, kind yeah. of a weird thing but sorry carry on I yeah so, it, so
2: and it worked basically and then from then on I, I got offered a lot of baddies i have to say they're they're great fun to play because obviously you can't be a baddie in real life, and I'm not a baddie in real life. No, so in a nice way, guy. you get to sort of <laughs> exorcise lots of demons. You get to behave in a way that you would never behave in the street, <laughs> and you get the best lines and the best costumes, and and you know, yeah. and also you don't have to carry the movie. You know, you're not the, you're not the. I mean, actually, the hero mm-hmm. has to what? Throw a punch, kiss the girl, mm-hmm. crack a joke. Yeah, and it's pretty much the same in every film. Yeah baddies are all much more kind of interesting and uh, there's so much more you can do with them. In fact, I'm, I'm in talks at the moment to go and um, do one in uh, next year, which is the archetypal comic book baddie. He's mm-hmm. called um, Dr. Savannah mm-hmm. and he's in a film called Shazam, which was originally a comic book in 1940 mm-hmm. and was called Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. And it's a story about a, a 13-year-old boy who, when he says the word Shazam, turns into a superhero, Allah Superman. He has a big red costume with a gold lightning flash across the front. Amazing. And he's Captain Marvel. But I think DC bought the property and therefore couldn't call him Captain Marvel, so had to change the name of the character to Shazam. But he has a nemesis, this guy, Dr. Zivana, who, yeah. in, who, who embraces the seven evil spirits and they're all um, sucked into a small globe, eyeball-shaped piece of glass that smacks into his eye. So he has this electric kind of eye full of evil spirits that can fire electricity out of it and stuff has to wear sunglasses to hide you know what i mean a proper old school mm. mad evil right. scientist kind of character yeah. you don't get that when you're playing the good guy no 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 way you know it's just it's just way more fun
1: and so much more depth right i yeah. mean yeah you can check out the backstory go where you want with it mm. i think that's great talking about is this talk kick-ass working with matthew vaughan there um that must have been unexpected like kingsman breakout that sort of came from nowhere I mean, uh, your death in that is incredible. Oh, you have thanks. some great movie
2: deaths, by the way. I've well, that's li- another thing, you see, when you're the baddie.
1: You get these great deaths. I've got, got a little mean- list. Robin Hood, you get an arrow through the neck. In yep. um, yeah. Stardust, you drown. But in, yep. a, in a really cool way. Drown in a floating yeah, Michelle, cool way. Michelle yeah. Pfeiffer does that to you. Uh, to end all wars, you were crucified.
2: Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, hey. hey, hey There's not a lot so of so people apart still? from me and another certain person <laughs> who we won't mention <laughs> who can claim that. <laughs> uh, no, no. And in Kit Kats, I get blown off a Manhattan balcony with a bazaar i mean that that is another feature is that you get uh yeah yeah you get to sort of have
0: spectacular deaths and moments actually in films well um, one of, one that's gone a bit viral recently with kingsman the 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 singing yes that's just yeah. fantastic it's yeah, like it and that's fantastic. got some serious following right now just that mm-hmm. that scene in itself is just has really garnered so much attention it's fantastic what a, well what that's, great that's down scene. to
2: matthew Vaughn because he knows the value of Upending your expectations, so Merlin, you know, mm. you would never expect that would happen to him in this particular movie. I won't say because it's spoilers, although the yeah. film's out. But so, you know, something amazing happens to him, and Matthew knows, I think, instinctively that that will will please the fans or outrage the fans, but certainly it'll it, it's memorable. Mm. Mm. But in Stardust, the same, you know, is true. Uh, Rupert Everett, who is the eldest of the seven brothers, mm. who's touted constantly by the others who are waiting for him in a particular scene, comes marching in, the doors throw open, he comes marching in, you think, oh my God, it's Rupert Everett, and then he gets pushed out of a window. <laughs> 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 you know, and that's classic Matthew. Yeah.
1: So how is Matthew to work with on set? Because he came from a producing background, obviously working with Guy on Lock, and Snatch, so yeah. yeah. and suddenly he was thrust in to make it, well, Layer Cake was amazing. Yeah. Uh, and then he carried on with his work. What, what's he like as a director? A, you know, well he's
2: cool. another interesting director isn't he because he's done a few films that are all quite different so he went mm-hmm. from layer cake to stardust mm-hmm. to kick ass to x-men to kingsman and then kingsman 2 mm-hmm. so and that's quite a varied uh, group of movies and all of them are successful so it's there's really, not it's a lot incredible. of directors who can say that but he I think he just has good taste and he knows what people like to see in a movie mm-hmm. he likes to have fun mm-hmm. um, and I think he You know, he spends a lot of time making sure that whatever it is he's putting up there is stuff that he wants to see. But he also understands that emotional connection of characters is important if you're going to do a fight scene, you better make it pretty amazing. Um, if you're going to do a chase scene, it's got to be amazing. You know, that's what people go to see, and he mm-hmm. just understands that. On set, during the day, he's very, he's very collaborative. He doesn't kind of say, you stand here, you do this, or you do that. You mm-hmm. come in with your ideas, and he'll generally try and incorporate them. That's great. Yeah, he's it's- much more about setting up the, 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 the set, mm-hmm. the storyline, but then he's really interested to see what actors bring to mm-hmm. every day.
1: And that's something you, you you would embrace because you prepare quite well at home and then bring it to set, is that yeah.
2: right? okay. I think he likes me and likes working with me because of that. Because mm-hmm. I think he started out, especially with uh, Guy, when he was producing for Guy, as well, working with a lot of non-actors, people who didn't trust them at that that's stage, right. yeah, didn't really know that they were players. Jason and... Statham wasn't an actor, you no, know. Exactly. He was an Olympic diver. A diver, I mean, that's right, yeah. yeah. So there was a, and there were a lot of geezers, and, you know, mm-hmm. people who hadn't really acted that much. So I think they came through the crucible of working with a lot of non-actors. Mm. And when they started working with actors who knew what they were doing, certainly Matthew realised the value of that. So he's he's been on
0: a mission ever since, I think, to work with the best people. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's lovely, isn't it? Because it's not always the case. It's not always a given that they're going to give you that freedom, flexibility. No, no, no. Which is a real, like we said earlier on, it's kind of like, we're, let mm. me go, let Get me free. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. That's good. Uh, it, uh, Kingsman Two is fantastic. It's, it's such a cool film. If you've not seen it, really do go see it. Mark, you're fantastic in it. It's really wonderful. Uh, it's actually someone uh, emailed in this question. Nasty Akim underscore BBC asks, "Did Merlin survive? Mm. And will we see the love between Ginger and Merlin in Kingsman 3
2: Well, that's that's two good questions there. Um, so the first part, the Kingsman mm. universe has been created by Matthew, and anything can happen. I mean, if Colin Firth can come back having literally been shot in the face, exactly, you can, anything can happen. Yeah, and yeah. maybe actually he'll really enjoy the challenge of how to piece Merlin together. <laughs> you know? um, Absolutely. But uh, I did, I remember Matthew being asked that question on one of the events, and he said, and if you look closely, what you actually see is him step and then you see something. Exactly, you don't know what happens. You don't to actually him. see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the result of that. So certainly it's open and okay. I think also who knows the franchise could become the kind of thing where you know, people will enjoy uh, silly, learning exactly. how yeah. somebody comes back from <laughs> what's seemingly an impossible situation. So there's that. <laughs> okay. Uh, what was the other part the of that love, question? Love,
1: a romance between...
2: Well, we had a whole, you know, that was a whole storyline in this current movie uh, that uh, Ginger, Halle Berry's character and Merlin sort of had were sweet on one another and mm. uh uh in fact we kissed uh then, that was how all shot, whole, shot that whole nice. thing. yeah yeah you were right like
0: that yeah yeah it
2: was uh yeah. it was quite a moment for me and it was tragic the <laughs> thought that that i mean in the end i think when Matthew put the film together it was something like four hours long so there was a lot of stuff that went okay and one of the things was um that love story just because there were other things that you had to kind of get on with and that that happens in every movie mm. course okay. of course it does um but he did talk <laughs> about possibly uh, doing a director's cut. Okay. You know, a long director's cut mm-hmm. for diehard fans who wouldn't mind that the thing was, I don't know, three hours yeah. long or something. Yeah, well, I'd watch that. Well, there you go. I mean, I would think well, commercially, you can't release a movie that, that's long, mm-hmm. that's, no, as long as that, the studio won't stand for it. Yeah it's just not viable but, but uh, you know if you were to do a special release of your of your director's cut and include all of that stuff he, he said that it was certainly a possibility right which would then also inform because we shot Merlin coming back right that was another bit that got left out really yeah ah. yeah ah. so okay. you know I came crawling back uh, right uh, oh, yeah. so, we, so it <laughs> exactly. is true yes, right yeah, okay yeah, yeah. so there's a genuine possibility that uh, right. he may be back
1: right I love that
2: we took it all
1: Nice. Um, the difference between working with someone like Danny Boyle, who's one of my favourite directors ever, I love Danny Boyle, and I hope you're going to say nice things about him. Um, <laughs> you might not. And then working with uh, someone like Guy Ritchie, what's the difference in styles there? Obviously, you mentioned one sort of more laddie, but with Danny Boyle, uh, mm. you know, working on Sunshine, how was that?
2: Guy came from um, videos. I think in the eighties, do you remember music videos? Sort of, mm-hmm. and they'd be, he'd be given five hundred quid and said, "Right, go and make a music video." <laughs> so his yeah. talent came from being able to make very little go a long way. Mm. And if you look at those early films, there's some amazingly inventive stuff going on with, uh, you know, plane journeys that cross the Atlantic being done in seconds. It's brilliant, though. because it's speeded it. up. You know, little Have touches it. like mm-hmm. that. Um, and I think all that came from the invention that he had to um, uh, find when he was making music videos. Um, Danny is, is much more considered. He, he, uh, he is very hot on script, mm-hmm. on pre-production. Getting everything sorted before you go into production. He doesn't like things in last minute. I don't think, um, or it didn't strike me that he did. And then, funny enough, Danny's the only person I've done a play and a television film and a film with. Because mm. um, I originally did a play with him back in uh, nineteen eighty-eight. Wow. Okay. At the Almeida, you know, when he was a theatre director. Mm. So he comes from that world. Mm. You know, um, a good script preparation. Mm-hmm uh and uh he's very dynamic at danny on set you know really tries to fire people up come on come on let's go three two one action you know get it Great, really moving yeah. uh yeah i mean everybody's different. they're all different i mean polanski told terrible gags that's what i remember that was <laughs> really? his thing telling really bad jokes <laughs> oh, um ridley ridley scott loves to just be like in the center of the mayhem mm-hmm. i remember once we did a shot on robin hood 15 cameras we had Uh, 15 cameras and each camera obviously had its own unit use yeah we had a a car with a Russian arm on it which is a piece of technology that focuses a camera and even though the car is moving the camera is laser guided onto the thing that it's meant to be shooting so we had one of them 15 cameras I remember he was in a horse box Ridley with 15 monitors and a walkie talkie same time and each of the camera monitors had the name of the operator underneath it and he'd be looking at it and saying into the walkie talkie you know John up a bit Steve put a different lens on Chris shoot the feet whatever you know and he I would love that. to just be like the general in the middle of the mayhem oh, yeah vision I know. he'll probably yeah. do alright Ridley yeah. yeah but also oh I remember God. when we, when he, he was showing me a sequence in which he had my double riding off on a horse and he wanted to show me how that was going to work mm-hmm. in the middle of the battle so they did a sequence with all 15 cameras running and there were so many people on that set. I think we had something like 1,500 people wow. um, for lunch, Well the producers told me. <laughs> 75 trailers, I think, 200 stuntmen and a bunch of hundred horses and it was so big that whole set that you couldn't hear the first ad say action and cut they just had one of those klaxons and when it went <laughs> everyone just started acting and When it went, and <laughs> you all stopped it was it was that big so anyway he shows me the sequence with with yeah. this guy riding off and 15 cameras and uh it was just phenomenal from from chaos Mm-hmm. Suddenly, everything focused, and each of those cameras was doing something really interesting because they're obviously very talented cameramen. Sure. And while it was happening, Ridley was pointing occasionally. At, at a camera, at a moment. So he was watching every all and pointing. And I, I didn't realise what he was doing until I saw that there was a, a, a his assistant was taking notes. And basically he was editing as he as was going oh, along. I love it. He's going, yeah, that camera, cut, cut, cut. Yeah, like yeah, a we're TV, live TV. And then we'll yeah. use that, and then we'll go there, and that one, and that one. And just editing 15 <laughs> live cameras as he went along. That's amazing. He
1: doesn't give too much direction to actors, as far as I know. He's much no. more go yeah you know what you're doing get on with it right is yeah, that's yeah. the kind of guy it is yeah yeah which he must- likes
2: to take care of the hardware
1: yeah yeah. yeah, which can, must be nice in some way because then you're free to do what you want. But sometimes sure. you just like to be t- just told a little bit whether you're on the right track.
2: Sure. Yeah. Although he, sometimes he'd come in and like do an extra button up on your coat or something. <laughs> so tiny little <laughs> details like that he would notice. Right. Incredible.
1: Maybe that's why Blade Runner is so beautiful, and he's most of his films are so beautiful. You know. Yeah. yeah. I actually, can't name one that isn't.
0: Body of Lies. I was. I, was, mm. I thought that was fantastic. By the way, it was fantastic, and a really interesting. Another good example of a diverse performance from you. I mean, it's like. Care. well i suppose you've done something similar Thank in syriana in terms of the yes. middle eastern yeah, type yeah of thing. for some but
2: reason i mean you were saying why the bad guys i suddenly had a whole group of arabic characters that yeah. came my way but you know as an actor you want to play something you're not so yeah. body of lies was a fantastic opportunity i i must admit when when i got the call from really to go in for an audition for it I, I just thought this is ridiculous hang on this is Something's gone wrong here. Mm-hmm. I'm going in to play the head of the Jordanian secret service. <laughs> you know, a guy called Hani Salam. Yeah. Get a boy from North London. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, that's what we do. I just didn't believe for a second. Mm. But I realized subsequently what the, what the issue was. They either cast an Arabic character who could, because he was an Anglophile, this character. Mm. You either cast an Arabic character who could play the English part or an English guy to do the Arabic part mm. and it was one or the other and I think there was another guy he had in the frame who was an Arabic actor who'd been in a film called The Kite Runner um, but Great when he guy. came in for the audition I think he was only about four foot tall or something so right. as right. DiCaprio and everyone else he, thought, too, he, yeah, he, yeah. Couldn't, he couldn't cast him so yeah. maybe that's why I got the job
0: it yeah. was a fantastic performance it was so despite the fact I mean through the years you've worked with some big names and you've, you've had amazing success and congratulations for it all thank but you was From an outsider's perspective, I can't imagine turning up on set with Ridley Scott, Russell Crowe, DiCaprio. Was that a moment in, in, where you were just thinking, what's going on here? Totally, totally. In fact,
2: my wife was about to give birth to my second boy, and I turned the film down, body of lies, I, I, when it first came oh. through, because mm. I wanted to be at home for the birth of... Uh, of my boy and it was my wife who said are you nuts you've got to get off you go anyway in she's a producer so in in classic producer style she contrived to have the baby the day before i was due to travel Amazing! (laughs) so i was present at the birth of my son which was great but then the next day the very next day i mean so i was there you know in the hospital with her i literally went from the hospital to the plane flew to morocco and that evening in fact not next day that evening i was sitting around a table with ridley russell and leonardo and we they opened a bottle of champagne and we wet the baby's head. Ah, oh, <sighs> oh, lovely. Oh, and that was just nice. surreal. Mm. Must have been. Going from the birth of my son to Morocco to sit round a table with those three guys and then uh, drink a glass of champagne. Which, which was better? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> be honest. No, no, I keep, that, I keep that to myself.
2: But it was, it was uh, yeah, it was pretty amazing. And Amen. it was great working with people of that calibre because, you know, you learn so much from them because they've right. just done it. Mm.
1: And DiCaprio's so intense and he, he works so hard. I, I've always loved his... Even back to Basketball Diaries, where he proper gives a performance. He doesn't care if the spit coming out of his mouth. Mm. He, he doesn't care about being pretty. He gives a performance, a real performance. Yeah. Did you see that on set? Was it the same thing, he just comes in and delivers?
2: What I did see, actually, which made me realise he really is a proper actor, is a lot of those A-list guys can't play subservient. Mm. And his character had to be subservient to mine in the film. This guy, Mark Strong, turning up playing this Jordanian guy oh. we have a scene together in which i'm i'm the man mm-hmm. and he gave me the space wow. you know he didn't kind of sit there trying to out act me he didn't go to ridley and go hang on hang on why are you giving this guy his own close-up it should be on me or whatever he didn't do any of that he literally he played it as it should be played which was that in the moment his character was beholden to mine and mm-hmm. uh, not all of those a-list guys would be happy to do that it's mm-hmm. so
0: interesting he's that a proper really actor.
2: It's really, yeah. uh, that's
0: lovely. Good, I like that because I like, I like, I've never met the man, but I like him. I like what he stands I for. Like and like It's nice to hear yeah. that he's a good guy. He's yeah.
1: good, well, we're big animal advocates and yeah. uh, charity workers in that, and he does all that as well. So yeah. that's another reason. He, why I he like struck
2: him. me as normal as you can possibly be in the light of, you know, his fame and his wealth. Yeah. But mm-hmm. he's about, his feet are pretty much on the ground. I like that. Wow.
1: And, and how come you've never produced? There's not, you've never had a credit as a producer. I mean, you probably have. I mean, but in terms all, of, is that a reason? Or
2: directed or all, all written. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, I don't know. When I did, when I walked into that room back in Munich in the day, the, the workshopping acting element was the bit that I enjoyed. You know, I, I don't have brothers and sisters. I grew up kind of without a family, without getting too deep about it, but I spent most of my young life looking at the world, working it out, where I fit in the firmament of things and who I admired and who I believed and mm-hmm. trusted and who I didn't. And so I kind of, manif- I, you know, there wasn't a dad around to compare myself to or be told what to do. There wasn't brothers to, to compare myself to or even sisters or anything. There was no one. Mm-hmm. So I had to work it out for myself. And I think walking into that room and seeing these people create characters, there was a, that, that's what I'd sort of been doing all my life. What I don't particularly want to do... and So I see myself as an interpreter. Mm. That's what I like. I love getting a script on the mat, picking it up and going, oh, my God, I can do something with that. You know, reading a character that's been written and thinking, I I know how to do that or I know what I want to do with that. Generating it doesn't seem to be anything that I've discovered yet. I mean, never say never. Mm. But I'm much more interested in playing the parts than I am in writing them or directing other people doing them.
1: Okay. (laughs) That's a a fair enough answer. I mean, yeah. yeah. We've both jumped to the other side. I, I much prefer they, it. I love the, the, the creativity of that and I can yeah. create something from scratch and yeah. it becomes something. I love that.
2: I can see how I must feel if it's yours. I mean, I'm often mm-hmm. envious of, of, of a director when they have a movie that they, they get to take it away. They get to choose the music like you were talking mm-hmm. about that music you heard and thought, well, oh, yeah. I've got to make it for... You know, I'm envious of the idea that you can literally decide yeah. what part of the shot, which shot you use, how you, how you put the whole thing together. Yeah. But... Yeah. um.
0: You know, maybe, maybe one day. Okay. I have to I have to say, I mean, for me personally, making that leap over was, was really for the sole purpose of creating more work as an actor. Mm-hmm. That was always, that was, so I can, I kind of, uh, it resonates with you what you're saying about it was that yeah. creative process of acting hmm. that really pushed your buttons. And it's, it's still the same for me. It's just that I, I figure I'll just, I'll write the, the scene, I'll write the film and I'll try and produce it so that I, i definitely get the role. Right. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. It
1: used to be the same with me. That's how I first started to look at that as well to say, well, I can get some parts for myself and then realized I love directing and that whole side of it. I don't suppose you need to go find parts for yourself at the moment.
2: But in a way, you see, (laughs) you know, touch wood again, you, you, you think that people, what makes you better is your, your, is hitting a brick wall. And overcoming it Mm. or failing and improving and Mm. you know that's actually you need that in life and i think that moment i had back then in germany when i realized i was making a huge mistake and and changed my life around in and it was it had massive ructions in my 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 world you know to make this choice i've not i've been such would like i've been lucky since and i haven't had anything that has forced me to look for another option and in a way maybe you're lucky in the sense that you have been able to find another option or look at another way of doing something because you have to Mm -hmm. and it makes you better as a result I mean I'm still relatively lazily being offered parts and taking them rather than thinking about how maybe I should write something maybe I should produce or direct Mm -hmm. so maybe I'm just being lazy and you're not (laughs) Uh, and it must be interesting to
1: see Liza do it as well obviously your wife producing, and you see her do that (coughs) side and think yeah no I don't fancy that I'll just stay this side well
2: having said that we watched a, a Norwegian TV series together that we really liked and she said to me i wonder if anyone's got the rights and i said what do you mean she went well whether anyone's got the rights to make the english language version of this i went probably surely they have haven't they she went i don't know i'm going to find out i went wow how'd you do that Hmm. so she basically just rang them up they said, come and visit us in Oslo. She said, you come in? And I went, uh, yeah. <laughs> so we went over there. We had a meeting with these guys. We sat around yeah. and they gave us the rights. I think anonymous content we're chasing in this massive company yeah. in the States, but they gave us the rights to make the English language version. And having said all of the, what i just said, I am co-producing this thing. Amazing. But I said to her, what does that exactly mean? She <laughs> says, yeah, basically, you just help me make it. <laughs> <laughs> and in whatever way I can be useful, right. I will be. So if that makes me a producer, then then... Technically yeah. that's it. Yeah, I you am put going things to be together, producing yeah. something. Yeah.
1: Congratulations. Thanks very <laughs> much.
2: Not I'm sure not sure how much I'm a producer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm not sure how much I'm actually going to sure. sure. end up doing, but uh, you know, it's a nice idea. Yeah.
1: Um and just before we wrap up, there's a couple of questions from uh, the Filmmakers Podcast family. Uh, Tony Cook asks, he was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, what makes you choose one role over another
2: if I can do something with it? Okay. If I can be memorable in the part because I believe that there are four, five moments in a movie that people come out talking about where they go, what about that bit where, or wasn't that bit great where? And if you're in one of those, mm. you're in the movie. Yeah, right. So if you can create a character that does something exceptional, like we were saying, Merlin in Kingsman 2 is yeah. a memorable yeah, yeah. moment. Even if he doesn't do anything else in the movie, yeah. he's
0: in the movie. Yeah, so,
2: right.
0: yeah. yeah. Good answer. Nice. So Saranis, at Saranis asks this may not be something that's relevant to you but asks any tips on dealing with performance anxiety i think she's referring to f- in film mm, rather, <laughs> than, <laughs> any, than, rather than anything bedroom, else yes well <laughs> or <a> football pitch
2: <laughs> um that is a really uh, fascinating question and um you know, you're joking about it, it's to do with film. I had it to do with stage. I just did, I, I recently did a play called A View from the Bridge. And, you were amazing uh, in it. I uh, saw it, yeah. It won a Tony much. Award as well for that,
1: didn't you? Thank you. Well, nomin- I got nominated
2: for nominated a, Tony. For a Tony. And uh, <laughs> again, whatever that's worth. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Who knows? Uh, but it's nice to be recognised. Yeah. Um, we did it at the Young Vic, we did it in the West End, we did it on Broadway. But I was terrified. Really? Terrified uh, leading up to putting that play on at the Young Vic. Not just nerves. This is something completely different. This was this was major uh, performance anxiety, and I looked it up online, and I talked to people about it, and I, wow. I had to work out techniques and things to try and make it work. And the truth is, um, the only way you can really deal with it is to understand what anxiety is, and as it comes for you, not just just move it to the side somehow. There is a, there is a mental meditative technique that can help, um, but really, part of I've always described acting as fear management. You know, part of the job is dealing with that anxiety. And a little bit of anxiety or nerves are useful because it focuses you. But when it's really big, and I had it bad, um, you've just got to work out techniques for yourself to, to try and cope with it. And I did
0: it m- by meditating. Like that. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's hmm. really interesting. So we have a question from Wag, Wag, Wag. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> why nice. Why not? Which is, if you had to spend the rest of your life on a desert island with three of the characters you've played... Hmm. I mean, you probably asked this all the time. <laughs> who would who would it be?
2: Well, that, but there's there's two part there's two issues. To that question is that I, I wouldn't choose the mental ones, obviously, because you've got to spend your time on a mental <laughs> island with yeah. on, on a desert island with I'm
1: them. And a mental island. <laughs> <laughs> but the truth
2: is, you know, my favourite characters are the ones that are the craziest ones. Yeah. Mm. To be honest, but I wouldn't spend time on a desert island with them. So Merlin's a lovely guy. God, Merlin's him. lovely. He yeah. could certainly be around. Um, uh,
1: he could probably build stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Harney? I mean, he was kind uh, of cool. Harney
2: might be good. You know, he'd, he'd be, be resourceful, useful. yeah. Catch fever
1: yeah. pitch maybe because of his, his funness, his enthusiasm, his enthusiasm. But, but they're all they're funness all
2: they're all, all crazy in one way or another. I'm not sure I want to spend actually any time <laughs> anywhere on with any island, which is why I choose to play them because it's yeah. like it yeah, yeah. can it's be like therapy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 it is therapy. Great,
1: love that. And final question: Emotionally, one of the podcasts in a Brit pod scene asks, "Have you ever been approached for Bond?" And would you be interested if you were?
2: No, I was approached to play a Bond baddie mm-hmm. a while back. I had to go into a, do an audition with Barbara Broccoli and Debbie McWilliams, and uh, I, I I cocked it up. Oh. I was so yeah, it was way back, and I was so nervous. I I'd learnt the scenes, and I'd done all the work and everything, and I got in there, and I just I didn't deliver in the moment, and they were really kind of lovely and beautiful and relaxed, and uh, I just it was one of those days where it didn't come together, and uh it was a big lesson actually from. Uh, made me kind of improve my my technique auditioning technique because i i think i thought i knew it perfectly and i didn't Mm. and so preparation 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 is what it's all about uh but no bond no no Mm. love to play a baddie though Mm. the bond baddie i think he's iconic isn't it yeah yeah that would be fun
1: okay all right it's good to know Um, mark thank you so much for your time um finally a little piece of advice or want to be filmmakers, actors, whatever you want to put in there
2: hmm. Actors and filmmakers, anyone trying to get into our industry piece of advice it's very tricky because i I have been very lucky, and I defy anybody who's managed to achieve anything in the, in this business uh, mm-hmm. I defy anyone say so that there's not an enormous amount of luck it's the only thing is don't become bitter don't let it grind you down don't feel when you're reading about other people in magazines you're watching the success of others that somehow they've had it and you haven't it's mm. it's not healthy it doesn't help you've just got to accept that all you can really do is move forward and do the best that you can um with your own talents and abilities and just just realize that it doesn't owe you anything it just exists and if you're lucky enough to get involved with it then then you've, you've done really well but in my experience I've no idea why I've, I've managed to you know I have, I have a little bit of that survivor's guilt you know the idea that there's a sort of dinghy and there's eight of you in it and only one makes it to land and that guy feels terrible all the people I was at university with who, who wanted to do what I do and, and haven't been able to sustain a career and all the people at drama school mm-hmm. and, and pretty much that's most of the people there's only a handful of us got through like those turtles on the beach you know when yeah. they hatch and have to mm-hmm. run to sea mm-hmm some some kind of get through and some don't um and all you've got to do is just hang in there i mean that's that's
0: not really satisfying advice but it's the truth it's great advice. great advice it's beautiful. it really is i have to say this with the question about performance anxiety and that point you just made about cocking up an audition for debbie mcwilliams mm. and uh and barbara broccoli, broccoli. Yeah. Mm. thank you so much for that honesty Hmm. So I think that's so insightful and so important, so valuable to the people listening to this, because that's that's a nice sort of humility and lack of ego that you wouldn't necessarily expect in someone who has done as well as you've done. So thank you for that. Well, that's
2: partly linked to what i was saying about, you know, the things your failures make you better, your the mistakes you make make you better. They really do. I mean, that's no revelation. Everybody knows that. But it is actually, in my case, true. I've genuinely found that the, the moments where I've 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 not done what I thought I should be doing has actually improved me.
0: Gotcha.
1: Beautiful. If you've enjoyed listening to this, please like, share, subscribe to our iTunes, download as much as possible and and, and write as a nice review.
0: Right, Dan? Yeah, right. And um I'm really excited about the next bit that's coming up where we go, where can we follow you on social media? And th- we all know the answer to that. <laughs> Mark, you can
1: Can we follow you on social media, Mark? I have
2: absolutely no social media presence. It's <laughs> uh, my active choice, mm-hmm. I'm afraid. I'm a bit yep. of a dinosaur like that. But actually, it, it comes from somewhere where I'm an actor. I play characters. And mm-hmm. if you're going to believe me in a film or a piece it's of TV so or on stage, true. why do you need to know what I'm having for breakfast every day? Right. You're asking people to suspend their disbelief. I wonder whether That's a great. time will come, actually, where I will become a man of mystery. And that will be something that people have lost because they've literally had to broadcast every waking thought mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. social media. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, to become somebody who people know not a great deal about will have value. It makes Absolutely. you more mysterious and interesting. Maybe. maybe. healthier, <laughs> yeah. too. But, but do follow us online. <laughs> yeah. um,
1: speaking of which, you can follow me at Giles Alderson.
0: At Dan Seven Tenths and you can follow
1: The Filmmakers Podcast at Filmmakers Pod or www.thefilmmakerspodcast.com go to iTunes go to SoundCloud we are now on Acast as well which is absolutely superb now remember being prepared is everything you can make your indie film but know who your audience is and get out there and do it and remember if you're lucky enough to do well and rise up it's your duty to send the elevator back down till next time
0: goodbye bye Bye. That's such an Bye. awesome Bye. exit, That's man! That, yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs>